Zero Foxtrot does not profess to share or promote the opinions and beliefs expressed by show host or guests. The Stay Zero podcast was created to provide a platform for servicemen and women to share their stories. Due to the nature of this podcast, sensitive topics will arise. Conversations about combat, PTSD, drug use, and other such subjects will occur. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back to the Stay Zero podcast. I have Luke Hamilton here with me today. Luke was a Marine sniper and a contractor for a while, and now he's an entrepreneur, uh, grinding it away like everybody else is now. Yeah, man. Yeah, thanks for coming in, man. Appreciate it, dude. Let's start with your Marine Corps time. When did you go in, and what was your experience like? When did I go in? I went in October in 2006. Um, okay. After I tried a year of college, um, I knew I wasn't going to stay in college because I always had in the back of my mind, I'm going to go into the military. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just know I wanted to go into the military. Yeah. But to appease the old uh, mother, I tried <laughs> I tried college, which wasted her money and mine. Um, unfortunately, I mean... I guess I'm glad I got to experience that year of college, but I didn't. I didn't really go to the school part of it. I just did the uh, other stuff. But uh, Dude, yeah. my my mom would have emptied her bank account if I'd have gone to college instead of the well, Marine the thing Corps. Is my mom like, didn't have one. <laughs> <laughs> so she yeah. tried to bribe me. I was like, I ain't doing it. Well, what's crazy is my stepdad. <laughs> my stepdad was a professor at a college called Incarnate Word, which was like two miles from my house, and I could go there basically for free other than like books and stuff. Wow. So I went there for a semester, but it's a private, it's like a really expensive college, but it's, uh, it's just the people that like, I was completely out of my element. Like the people, like the students themselves, and a lot of them were foreign, um, foreign exchange students. Um, but it just wasn't my crowd. Like I did not fit in there. Even before the Marine Corps. Yeah. I felt like, I felt like I was at, uh, I felt like I was in a crazy house, man, because I just didn't fit in. Like I didn't, anybody I met, I couldn't really have a conversation with. I was just a different, I guess, human than them, um, different childhood, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I joined in 2006 after my first, uh, or my my year of stint of college. And then, uh, yeah. So what, what unit were you with and where'd you go? So I uh, went to SOI or... Uh, uh, boot camp on the West Coast, SOI on the West Coast. Um, and then I got put in 3rd Battalion, 4th Marines at uh, 29 Palms. <laughs> I was so a 2-7. It was me and like one other guy <laughs> yeah. out of like 109 Marines. They're like, all right, you two are going to 29 Palms. We were like, what's the stumps? And everybody was like, oh, sucks for you. And everybody else is just like right down the road at like beautiful Horno or Mateo. Like yeah. awesome spots, you know, right by the beach. And then, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm kind of glad because uh, 3-4 was the most combat deployed unit at the time, um, even from when I was in it. I believe up until I got out, um, they were in the most combat, they had the most deployments, combat deployments. Um, so I was like, perfect. Uh, I Is mean, that what you wanted? You want yeah. So yeah, I wanted, I, the reason I joined the Marine Corps was to go to combat, basically. I wanted to experience, uh, I guess, uh, combat, man, or warfare. Um just because growing up as a kid, that's all I did is watch uh, watch the combat flicks, either with my granddad or uncles. Um, but that's like a lot of what raised me is uh, those combat flicks and uh, platoon, platoon, uh, predator. Uh, just you know the fucking the uh, 
the good old, uh, yeah, combat flicks were a big part of the reason, like, why that was always in the back of my head of why I wanted to go in the Marine Corps, because I always, it's all I watched, and that's kind of, I grew up outside, um, always was outside as a kid, um, always pretending to be in the military as a kid, you know? Um, so, yeah, uh, going to 3-4 for me was, like, perfect, like, uh, most combat deployed. Um, and, yeah, I got the 3-4. <clears throat> I think it was me and I want to say one other guy, maybe there was three of us, uh, and we got off the bus and I did not know at the time I was, I was like, I didn't, being a sniper wasn't anything. Like I didn't think I was wanting to be a sniper. I had the, re the prerequisites for it. I had the first class PFT, the expert shooting and the ASVAB score. And I knew that because the recon, I don't know if they did it when you were in SOI, um, when the recon guys come in and they're like, anybody want to come try out the end off for recon? Yeah. And I was going to do that. I, I honestly don't remember why, what happened or why I didn't, but something happened where I didn't. But when we got off the bus at, at 3, 4, and 29 Palms, uh, the unit was in Iraq still. I think they got delayed or something like two weeks. So we show up to like empty barracks. It was great. Like, uh, we didn't have fucking guys fucking licking their chops, you know, waiting for us to get off the bus. And luckily, fucking luckily, Sergeant Dole, never forget Sergeant Dole, man. Um, he was a transfer from another unit, and he was the platoon sergeant for the sniper platoon, or the new one, going to be the new one. Okay. Right? So he was there. He was the only guy there. I think him and, like, a lieutenant were there or something waiting on us three to get off. And there was other guys, but they were going to different units, 2-7. Whatever one seven, um, LAR was there too. So there's some LAR guys. Uh, but Sergeant Dole was standing there. He's like, "All right, do any of you three have? It's really three of us. Do you, you any of you guys have? You know, rifle score, blah blah blah." And I was like, "I do." And they're like, "He's like, well, do you want to be a sniper?" And I was like, "Yes. Why? Why would I say no to that? Um, no clue what it entailed. No clue uh, what I was getting into." Um, and luckily, so the unit, I think we had like 10 to 14 days um, before the unit was going to be back. And for those two weeks or 10 days, whatever it was, Sergeant Dole took me. And at first, it was just two other guys. Um, I think there was one guy with him already. But he just kind of taught us the basics, man, of what being a sniper was. He taught us um, definitions, uh, taught us, you know, ran the shit out of us uh and at the time i'm 20 years old and like the best shape like nothing really made me tired type thing um so that was all easy for me and all good for me <clears throat> um the memorizing stuff part wasn't um i wasn't the best scholar i should say um bro sniper school was where i learned to be a student yeah i learned to write like, basically yeah yeah school, i i thought i was stupid until i got to <laughs> sniper school and it was really just once I was interested, yes. I cared. Yeah, yeah. Right? But all through high school, all through, like, I just never gave a fuck. Yep. And so it was super hard yes. to apply that that work ethic yeah. and that effort into something that I didn't care That's about. That's a really good way to put it. I didn't give a fuck either until I was interested. Like, mm -hmm. school never interested me at all. Like, I never had any interest, maybe in, like, history classes. Yeah. When we were learning stuff about history, I had a little interest. But when they were talking about war. Yeah, they're talking about war. Like, seriously, like medieval times or yeah. like just whatever. Uh, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, and I, as I started learning about snipers and what they did and who they were, that is when I was like, 
okay, I'll actually really yeah. put effort into this. And uh, it's like, hey, this information might save your life. Yeah. You might ought to consider well, and learning you're just, it. You, you learned about the guys before you mm-hmm. and the, the, the heroism and, the, and just the, the, the history of what snipe, scout snipers did. Mm-hmm. Um, it trumps anything I ever did in the service, yeah. I, in my opinion. Like I have, uh, I forgot what that syndrome's called, where you uh, don't think you're like good enough to like, you know, be a part of that. Imposter syndrome. Yeah, imposter syndrome. Yeah, I got a lot of that. Because um, just... But that is what drove me to like want to be the best or want to be the best sniper. Um, That had a lot to do with it. Um, And you're right. So right about I had no interest in school. And then when I did find something interested in me, I was all in. There was nothing else, you know. Yeah. That was a big part of it. Um, But yeah, Um, Sergeant Dole picked us up, trained us for two weeks. um, And uh, I was a PFC at the time. And then the unit gets back and then, you know. The end doc, um, the salt dogs, you know, the salt. Sergeant Dole was experienced. He was a combat deployed dude, um, but he was a nice guy. He didn't, he didn't, he never mentioned any of the. A <laughs> little misleading, yeah. huh? Yeah. Very misleading, man. Uh, really good dude. Um, I wish I could see him again. Sergeant Dole, if you ever, uh, I think I'm friends with him on Facebook. Maybe we'll get together, but uh, lucky for him. And then, yeah, he just kind of kept it cordial, kept it calm. Um, was a really nice dude. And then the unit gets back, all hell breaks loose. Uh, the indoc happens. How was your indoc? I honestly don't remember it much, man. Okay. It was, it was kind of just like an ass kicker, yeah. uh, like a four or five day. Don't drink, don't sleep or don't eat, don't sleep, uh, out in the desert in 29 Palms, um, land nav stuff. Did you get to go to school pretty quickly? Yeah. So, uh, me and, uh, my good friend, uh, Rob Morse, who uh, we were obviously in the same platoon, uh, we got hastily promoted to go to sniper school. So we were PFCs, and I did. you have to be a lance corporal to go to, to scout sniper basic course. Yeah. And we were still PFCs. So they're like, well, we'll promote you on the lance corporals <laughs> if you all go to sniper school. And we we're like, all right, whatever, like, perfect. Like, a lot of, I think a lot of, um, a lot of the military is timing. Mm. Like, I had really good timing. Yeah. Uh, that, that my unit not being back when I showed up, Sergeant Dole being there, like if I would have gone to another unit, I probably would have, who knows what would have happened. But yeah, uh, so we get hastily promoted. Um, and within, I think, probably two or three months of being with the unit, we we were uh, going to Scott Sniper basic course, man. So, nice. Yeah, that was uh, no idea what we were getting into, man. We were talking the whole way. We were so nervous. Um, <laughs> did not, did not know what we were getting into. You know? Yeah, I was the same way. I I took an in doc in November, and we had two. We- it was very last week in November, and it snowed in Twenty Nine Palms the night of our end. We had a couple snow days yeah. in Twenty Nine Palms, and uh, I had two weeks of a scout package, is what they called it, where the previous hogs were teaching us how we had to make a ghillie. We mm-hmm. had to learn to be mm-hmm. like field sketches. We got smoked, and and a little really bit stocky. A little, yeah. We didn't do any of that, but we got the we got the gillies done, and then we went all broke for Christmas leave, and I came back early for Christmas leave to go to sniper school like January three, and so I had two weeks of being exposed to it, yeah. And hearing like, yeah, I failed twice at sniper mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. It took me three times to pass, or it yep. took me. 
And I, I didn't even take enough underwear to get through the first week. Yeah. Like, there's no way. Like, there's no fucking way. Yeah. And a buddy of mine and I, we really, like, we laughed at, We laughed a lot. And we're just like, man, we're here till we're not. Yeah. Like, that's what we're, right. the truth of it. And it, it kind of took some of the pressure off to expect to fail. Yeah. <laughs> and then each day it was like a happy surprise that we hadn't been cut. Mm-hmm. And we carried it all the way through to the end somehow. Um it was an ass kicker, man. I think I was 140 pounds at 6'1 when I graduated. That's pretty light, man. That's Dude. that was like one, probably 150-ish, 155. Yeah, yeah carrying a ruck that was half of that or more, us. you know. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah, that's why my back hurts today. Uh, <laughs> not service <laughs> yeah. connected, though, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sniper school. Uh, it was great. Um. I almost failed, but I almost failed because uh, of field sketches because I couldn't draw. Really? Could not draw wow. to save my life. Like the 3D uh, effect, yeah. I was just so bad. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they would have failed me for it, but yeah. And yeah, the camera thing was coming out. Like field sketches were... How many field sketches did you draw on deployment? Zero. But yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe a couple of range cards. You range know? cards for maybe. sure. Maybe. Field sketches. Zero. Zero. Yeah. yeah. Zip. Uh, but yeah, that's what I almost failed. Um, stalking, I was great for me. Um, stalking was uh, like childhood, basically, man. Like I lived outside. I was always sneaking around outside and it was, it was the exact same thing. So stalking was like a, a lot of fun unless you get busted and you have to bear crawl. Um, yeah. So don't get busted. Thousand um, yard bear crawl is yeah. not fun. Yeah, with a drag bag, not fun at all. And I'm highly allergic to, I almost got dropped because I had poison oak. Mm. Got in my Got on my face, almost like, almost got into my eyes. Um, but I would get that so bad. Like if I got it, it would be uh, so bad. Like, so after, just real quick, after sniper school, I went to what, it wasn't a permanent thing. It was like a pre-sniper course okay. for uh, guys going to sniper school. Um, and I went there with my platoon. This is after I already graduated. But, um, and I was just, like helping, I was like an AI basically. I was helping instruct, um, helping out the instructors that needed help. Um, I think this was in Horno, uh, the old recon, uh, like Chew or uh, Hooches. I forget. I think was that Horno? Horno. Pretty sure it was Horno. Yeah. Um, but I got uh, poison oak in my bloodstream, and I woke up at night, and my entire body was like pink. Wow. Like entire body, like swollen pink. My eyes were like shutting. It was pretty wild, so I had to go and get, like, all these steroid injections. But I get poison oak terrible anytime I get it. And that's another reason I almost got dropped from from sniper school was uh, the poison oak aspect. Because it's all over the place. You can't not, like, go through it. Um, Yeah. I got it all over my junk when we were doing man tracking for whatever reason. And I remember the moment, too, because we were hiding in the bushes waiting for the next team to come, like, track us down and find us. Mm -hmm. And I had an itch, right? And instead (laughs) of, like, just over the pants, like— getting after it i went internal to like scratch my groin and dude that ruined the next two weeks of my life yeah and it lingers dude (laughs) it It lingers and lingers and lingers yeah should have jumped in the ocean yeah that salt water helped it could have definitely helped it yeah so you went to sniper school and you got back when did you go on your first deployment um graduated sniper school in december 07 Okay. We were the last class in 2007. It was right before they changed it from like uh, 13 weeks to I think nine or weeks or something. They changed it pretty okay. close after. Um, 
And then we deployed the beginning of January. So I had like a month. Were y'all going to Iraq or Afghanistan? Iraq the first time. Wow. Iraq the first time. Hit Iraq, yeah. Flew into Al-Assad, went to hit. Um, well, my team went to hit. We were all over. There's, I think, a team. Uh, what's that dam? Haditha. Haditha Dam. Yep. We had a team there. Um, yeah, but in that area. Um, okay. Hit Iraq. Uh, spent my whole deployment there just bouncing around different FOPs, supporting the grunts, you know? Uh, what was your primary mission? What were you doing? In, uh IED interdiction, yeah. basically, uh, and just intel gathering. Um, and then we did a lot of patrols just with the grunts, um, yeah. just patrolled with them. Fortunately, uh, that deployment, there wasn't – so the deployment before we showed up, it had been – hit had been cleared, basically. Um, yeah. So a lot of the bad guys were gone. Yeah. Um, and they all went down south to Fallujah, which was like an hour and a half or two hours south of us. Um but what, what was great about that deployment, even though there was, there was like two incidences that were like uh, weren't very big deals, like re over real quick. Um, mm -hmm. But what that we ran so many missions, like so many, probably I don't know how many missions, but we ran I ran so many missions that it prepared me for Afghanistan deployment, other than it being mountainous. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty slow, uh, pretty, I wouldn't say boring, but pretty, it was, it, I, I, would, I got complacent, mm. uh, which is bad. Yeah. Um, towards the end of it, I got very complacent and I was frustrated because I wasn't getting what I, what I wanted to get out of it, which yeah. was, you know, combat. Um, yeah. So I was like frustrated. I was like, fuck. And then when the deployment's wrapping up, you're, the unit usually starts talking about like the next deployment or where you're going to start going or where you're probably going to go. And they were talking about Iraq again. And I was like, God, I was like, please. And at the time, this was 2008, nine. So that's when Afghanistan was like full blown, like oh yeah, pretty wild times, especially in, uh, I mean, all over, but Helmand for, for certain was uh, in 2008, nine, 10 was pretty, pretty wild west of the place. Um, so the unit started talking about uh, going back to Iraq, and I was like, "Great, another one of these deployments." I, so my in my mind, I was wanting to cross deck and go to a deploying Afghan unit is what I was probably going to do, and then um, yeah, that changed, and we got an Afghan deployment. Um, Where did you go there? Uh, so we came back from Iraq in two thousand eight. Yeah, two thousand eight. Um, I think in like, fuck, maybe September 2008, we got back. And then October, so like 10 months later, or 11 months later, we deployed to Afghanistan. In between that time, I went to a, a radio recon school uh, course. I went to uh, SOTG Urban, which was a phenomenal course. I probably learned more. The training at that course was, I mean, the amount of rounds we were firing. Was um, that sniper specific or just Yeah, it was sniper urban specific. Warfare. Yeah, okay. you had to be a scout sniper uh, basic graduate to go. Okay, so urban um, sniper program. Yep, yeah. it, was, it was as far as like, sh you know, shooting position wise and just like just out of the norm, like off the book type training. Mm. It's It was probably my favorite course I went to in the Marine Corps. Hide construction, loophole shooting. Yeah, loophole shooting, yeah. shooting uh, through through uh 
you know, multiple, you know, barricades type shooting, shooting through glass, shooting um, angles, um, and then just urban, a lot of urban uh, hide sites set up on how to... Which are really cool. Very cool, man. You can be completely invisible. Oh, yeah. Completely yeah. invisible. The vertical screen and then the angled screen, put them together. You're in the back of the room with a black uh, backdrop. Yep. You're not going to see, that, see nope. that guy at all. Nope. Yeah. Really great course, man. Um, I, don't, I, I don't even think of SOTG still a thing anymore. Um, but... It should be because that was a really great course. And then I also went. It's probably to, why they got rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's Marine Corps, man. <laughs> fucking Marine Corps. Uh, yeah. If it works, fucking take it away. Yeah. Um, we can't do this. Yeah. It's effective. This is very effective. We cannot have this. Yeah. Perfect example. Uh, and then I also went to Mountain Scout Sniper course uh, in Bridgeport, which was also an amazing, uh, an amazing course. And I just wanted to say about that course. Um, uh, that course, the movement. So great course. A week of. Did you go to High Angle? Mm-mm. It was a week of High Angle shooting at Rocket Mountain in Hawthorne, Nevada, which is the weirdest place. The aliens are out there for sure. Now that I look back at that place, the, the amount of the amount of bunkers out there, like underground bunkers, up on Rocket Mountain, you have a, a huge view of this valley where there's like probably like three thousand civilians that live there, maybe, and they're all like. It's pretty podunk out there. Like it's in the boonies. Yeah. Um, Hills have eyes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly those types of vibes. Like um, maybe like one or two diners to eat at. But <clears throat> uh, so Rocket Mountain, you can see. I, I'm talking. You can look. You can Google pictures of this if you're when, when when if you're a listener, Google pictures of Hawthorne, Nevada, and look at the bunkers. It's like I would say a thousand bunkers. Wow. On the side of this valley, like it's wild. Supposedly, it's just uh, ammo, uh, ammo storage. Sure, sure. Everybody whatnot. wakes up with squishy shit in their butt. I really <laughs> wish I could go explore that place. Uh, but yeah, Hawthorne, Aliens, Rocket Mountain huh? was the first week high angle shooting, which was amazing. Learned a, like a hell of a lot there. And I'm glad I got to go do that because angle shooting is no joke. Mm. You'll miss at 200 yards. If you've never shot angle, you'll you'll miss. I, yeah. Just the way it is, uh, you'll shoot low. Um, but... Uh, yeah, great weather the entire time. This was February, I mind you. So it was, and we're in the Sierra Nevadas, so it's it's cold, right? But we had really nice sunny days, and we're on top of a mountain like this old. They used to test rockets, uh, little rockets off this mountaintop. And now it's uh, high angle shooting. Um, so there's like, these big concrete platforms, like cubbies, basically, where they used to fire these rockets off, um, and that's where you'd put up your one man tents. We slept on tents the whole time, um, but. Great weather for five days, like perfect. No wind, shooting angle shooting. It was great. And the the qual day comes and a fucking blizzard blows in. And it's to the point where it's not snowing yet on us, but the wind, it was sustained 40 mile to 60 mile per hour winds on the top of that, uh, on the top of that mountain. So already at a disadvantage shooting angle, right? Yeah. And then you add that wind into the valley and it's crosswinds. And then you got, I don't know if you ever heard of orographic uplift. Um, it's the speed at which the wind at the bottom of the mountain can be 30 miles an hour. But when the wind hits the side of the mountain, it picks up speed, picks up speed, picks up speed because wind's constantly hitting. Yeah. So it's almost like a, it's pushing it up. Yeah. So by the time you're at the top of the mountain, the speed, the wind speed could be double. So you're shooting down from 60 mile per hour winds into maybe 10 to 15 mile per hour winds at the target level. So the, the amount of 
calculation there is yeah. not fathomable. The you mental gymnastics you, is hard it to is, calculate. Yeah, it, it was wild. And a lot of people, you know, are like, oh, it's so probably you, exaggerate. So you cleaned the qual, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I failed. <laughs> Fucking failed. I think three guys passed it. There was a pretty small, it was like 12 of us. Yeah. It was like three guys passed it. And two of the guys that passed it were instructors going through because you had to go through the course to be an instructor at the course. So those guys passed probably with hundreds. Pencil right? whip in their scores. I think I got like a 64 pass with 70 or above. The one guy that did pass got like a 71. My partner failed. Uh, there was two te- it was two man teams. We worked in two man teams at the course and there was four uh Rangers there as well that failed. No kind of alibi for the weather. No, man. We were all thinking there was going to be. Yeah. But no. Don't give a shit. It was wild. The, the the that was the most hardcore weather I ever shot in. It was like shooting in a hurricane. It was yeah. it was wild. And then you're dealing with angle at the same time. So it's just like mm. this is like nobody could pass this. Yeah. Nobody. And if you do, it's luck. Like you're and it's not even up. like a realistic situation that you'd likely be in in, in combat doing Correct. that. We wouldn't even probably take a shot at that unless no. you had to, right? Right. Um, yeah, you're not taking a you're not taking a a, a, a shot that's going to compromise yourself in that wind. You're, you just wouldn't shoot. You'd wait unless you're getting shot at. You know, yeah. then you'd probably try. But but yeah, um, no wind is kind of useless, and too much wind is useless. Like yeah, you've got to have something realistic to work with. You know, inside a 20 mile an hour, that's, yeah. if it's consistent, then nobody cares. Yeah. But like, you, like people ask me all the time, like, what should I get to train with? Like, honestly, if you want to train, I would get a 308. Yeah. The wind's going to blow too. it all over the place and you're going to learn to call that wind. Mm-hmm. And once you get that done, then you can go to your six fives, really, your six basics, millimeters, yeah. your seven millimeters, your Creedmoors, your PRCs. Yep. They kind of defy it a little bit, yeah. you know, it's, mm-hmm. you can... It's much easier to shoot those calibers, but you're yeah, not going to learn months. the skill. No, not at all. Yeah, not at all. Uh, so, yeah, the first week I failed to shoot. Um, second week was uh, the field portion, the FX, the, mm-hmm. the you know, the, the, the final mission or whatever. The, the And uh, luckily for that, so the Hawthorne's about an hour from Bridgeport <coughs> uh, where the field portion was from the high angle shooting. So Bridgeport's straight up in the mountains. I think it's at like uh, 7,000 feet, maybe. I think maybe between five and seven. Don't don't quote me on that, but it's up in the mountains in the Sierra Nevadas. Um, I mean, we're at like 12 to 12,000 feet-ish, um, up to 15,000 feet. Um, so the oxygen's thin, but that blizzard blew in. And the next day was the start of our, our, our field X, um, which was just a, an insert, a movement um, to a to a point, and then you're supposed to take a shot from that point, and then x ex, fill right. Um, and I'm from Texas. I've never skied in my life. I've snowboarded, right? So they hand us these skis with skins, and I was like, "What are skins? Like, I had no idea what ski." I don't even know what it is right now when we're talking about it. So, <laughs> this is how I was right when I I was like, "Wait, what? This is all possible?" Like, I had no idea about any of this. And there was a couple mountain dudes that were like, "Oh yeah, skin ball. skins are where you put on the bottom of the skis. It's almost like uh, when you push, it's smooth, and when you come back, it has like grip. Oh, so you can ski uphill like a shark skin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like almost like a scale. Yeah. So or you something. can you can traverse uphill with okay. Them you know, and, and we also had snowshoes too, but the skis and this, it was blizzard. It was, yeah. it was, and we had, I think we had two hours to train on them 
um, before they infilled it. So I had two hours on the skis. Fuck. <laughs> and uh, overcome. Not, not only not only were the they were skiing uphill. I learned you could do, but the the skis themselves were from the eighties. The boots were leather. The, wow. They were leather ski boots from the eighties. Um, they were just trash. It's trash gear. Um. So yeah, learned how to ski uphill, and then insert was like that evening. Um, and we inserted, and it was uh, blizzard conditions. Like they almost didn't. They almost waited to drop us because of uh, avalanche threat and all that, um, just because the amount of snow was coming down. They wanted to make sure more snow landed before they put you in. <laughs> yeah, it was wild, man. And the, I don't know if you've ever been a snow cat. It's a little box with tracks on it. It can go anywhere on the mountain, basically. Yeah. And we were in there for like two and a half hours. It was like being on a boat. You almost got seasick in those things. Um, but yeah, we inserted blizzard conditions. Um, I think there was only... Six or eight of us. I think there were six of us. Um, but yeah, blizzard conditions. But what I, what I was getting to when I started this was the movement on that course. Like it was a gentleman's court, gentleman's course as well. Marine Corps doesn't have those. Yeah. Well, SOTG was pretty, pretty lax. Yeah. Uh, as far as, yeah, it was a training environment for sure. So was high angle shooting in the shooting portion. But this movement they made us do was just I kept thinking how insane it was, how much how much we had to move because on a straight line, it's not that much when you're looking at a map, but you're having to traverse. I mean, 500 meters could turn into 2,000 meters because you're having to traverse. Mm. And on top of the traversing, you have the shitty gear from the 80s and you're using, you have a ruck on, you have battle rattle on, you have your rifle, you're in four and you're carrying a sled. You're pulling a sled that's attached to your hips with all your gear in it. Like, your your uh, for water boiling, uh, your sleeping gear. You're pulling in a sled, so when you when you fall, which I was falling at times every fucking ten feet, man. You'd have to take everything off, stand up, put everything back on. It was like a mental. It was that that course. I always say this. It took my soul out of my body. Like really. It, that was the close, and at the, didn't even mention I failed the high angle part. So they asked the guys that failed, "Hey, do you want to stay and complete the training, or go back to your unit?" The Rangers went back to the unit. They said, "Fuck that." And they went back to the unit. I almost wish I had, but I don't at all. So I'm going through this, knowing I'm not going to get a certificate, and that was the big deal when you're in. You need a cert, right? Yep. And then when you get out, a cert means something too. So no cert. So I'm going through this. I'm like, I'm going through this for no fucking reason. But there is a reason because of that. If I wouldn't have gone through that movement, I would have had my ass kicked in Afghanistan. Really? Every movement in Afghanistan wasn't, by no means, was not peanuts. I mean, I, I was on movements in Afghanistan where I saw grown men crying because they couldn't go any further. Um, if I wouldn't have done that, I probably would have been in that boat too, but I did that movement and uh, I think it was like a total of like, I don't really remember, but we, we calculated the amount of clicks we moved with the traversing involved and it was like, it was like 50 or 60 clicks wow. of movement in snowshoes with gear in the 80s. And on top of that, the uh, instructors would take a piece of your gear every night. So on the last couple nights, you're digging hole in the snow to sleep in. 
You're digging a snow coffin is what they call them. Oh, so not to take weight off of your load, but to give you less resources. I mean, it did, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> I'd rather have the weight. Yeah, yeah, I'd rather tent. have the tent. Yeah, and cuddle Damn, with my man. boys, you know? It ain't gay if it's cold. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why we train, right? Like That's the training value in creating the hardest possible situation, getting you through that and then hoping that you don't face anything harder Correct. in combat, right? And I never did. That movement, yeah. I still have it in my life. Yeah. never faced a challenge like that. And uh, I'll always revert back to that, thinking of those, that movement and uh, how I felt. I was, I've never been close to quitting anything in my life. Mm. That was the closest I've ever been. I was, I was talking to my partner. I was like, man, do you want to stop? You want to just fucking call it? And a couple of times he was like, like, please say yes, please say yeah. yes. Yeah, <laughs> a couple of times he was like, I do, man, but we but can't. Shut the fuck up, get out of my it's head. Like, it's going to take two days to get down anyways. And we have two days left. It's like, all right, fuck it. Yeah. But yeah, completed that. It's funny then, how much farther you can go when you're next to like a friend. Correct. And yeah. and he's suffering too. Suffering. Right? And it's like, I'm not going to leave this dude suffering. to suffer alone. Suffering, yeah. And we'll just suffer together. Suffering, And that's silence, where baby. you build that trauma bond. Yeah, trauma bond. <laughs> <laughs> I never heard of that. Trauma bond, that's good, yeah. That's uh, what it is, man. Yeah, that it's for sure what it is. Uh, we definitely had trauma bond. We cuddled. Uh, I mean, it ain't, it ain't fucking warm when you get your... The shell of your sleeping bag taken, your tent taken, and you're sleeping in a in a hole cut out of the snow. And it's is that know, when you got frostbite on your hands? Yeah. So uh, yeah, the last night. So everything. If you if you're in the snow, everything gets wet. Yeah. Regardless, yeah. you're just gonna shit's gonna be wet. Um, and luckily the like the first two or three days was snowy, and then I think we were as a total of five days. Um. Yeah, it was like five or six days, maybe. Uh, it was snowy for like the first two days. Um, a lot of snow, like pine tree tips were sticking out. It was so deep up on the mountain. Um, so it was a shitload of snow, um, real deep. So Point Man, which was rotating all the time, was breaking trail. And when you're on, when you're the trail breaker, you're working twice as hard because you're yeah. breaking through the snow and your guys are behind you. So you'd have to rotate that job pretty fair, fairly often um, so you wouldn't gas the guy out. Um, so breaking trail sucked. Um, but yeah, um, the last, uh, last night, uh, we did a trial or a, uh, biathlon where you ski and shoot at the same time too, which that was kind of fun, but I was so gassed out. Like I fucking, you know, malnourished frostbitten hands, not even knowing it. Um, did that. And then we came down the mountain. Um, I didn't know I had any sort of frostbite or frost nip at the time. Um, and yeah, I woke up that night, the night we came off the mountain, um, and my hands were my hands and my feet. And I remember my ears, it's like I was describing earlier, man, that, that feeling when your legs asleep and it's coming back, the blood's coming back in. It's like pins and needles, like mm. pins and needles times 10 or 20, that feeling, it almost, it just feels like your hands, like in a, like a, like sitting on top of a porcupine or something. I don't know. Uh, just, it, it was brutal. And I woke up, didn't know what was happening. They were really swollen and like glassy looking, like waxy, I should say. Wow. And I was like, what the hell? And I ran to the med bay and my partner that was in this with me, same thing. We both were kind of like, what in the fuck is going on? We go into the med bay, wake up the fucking, <laughs> whoever the chief or whatever it is, probably pissed off. We show him our hands. He's like, oh yeah, you guys are thawing out. And we were like, what the fuck? And he was like, and man, if you would have been out there one more night, like if you would have stayed out, you probably would have had full on frostbite the next day. Um, and 
yeah, that was my frost day. But it still, it still sucks. Um, yeah, cold weather injuries linger. Just like if I'm holding something cold, my hands will start. Like I have to switch hands, even if it's 100 degrees out. If I have ice cup or something, cup with ice in it, it'll start stinging. It'll feel like the thawing out feeling again. Um, wow. Yeah, and then real quick, the uh, our unit three four was coming up there as the as a unit to do the cold weather training too. Not the Scout Sniper uh, mountain course, but just the standard Marine Corps uh, cold weather training. So we got the mountain, we thaw out basically, and the day after, so we had one day off, and then the day after we had that one day off, our unit arrived, and we were expected to go train out in the mountain with them again. So we gear up and start going up the mountain with the battalion after we literally just thought out, like seriously just thought out, like that's what happened. We were, we needed to thaw out basically. And we start going up the mountain and another blizzard comes in and me and my partner are going up and we start, it starts happening again. We start freezing again and they actually let us go back down, thankfully, um, because all the training they're going to do, we just did it. Yeah. We were just doing and doing it to an extreme. Right. You know, we didn't have the support of a unit, you know, on the mountain with us. We were just a six man team out there, uh, trucking through the snow yeah did you experience any cold weather in afghanistan yeah 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 okay at night especially yeah we were i was uh so yeah get done with mountain sniper uh i think that was yeah february and i think we were done in march and then i think i went to sotg actually after mountain sniper because yeah that was in the spring i'm pretty sure maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm mixing up my my schools but Deployed to uh, Helmand Province okay. in uh, 2009 in October. What was that deployment? How was that different from Iraq? Oh, fuck. Just flying in, I was like, holy fuck. Like the size of the... Uh, the mountains. The size of the mountains. And we were in the, the foothills of the Hindu Kush, you know? Mm. Um, but yeah, the scale and size of the mountains, it, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like... <laughs> Fuck. Taliban like, fights a little different than the Iraqis did too. 100% fights different. <laughs> they, yeah. A little more resilient. A little more resilient, a little more trained. Yeah. Um, not all of them, but I mean, they're a little more organized, a little more coordinated. I think uh, more firepower mm -hmm. they have. Um, they have a bunch of leftover Russian shit too mm -hmm. still. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely 100%. It's a 180 from my Iraq. Were you still mostly doing IED interdiction? Did your mission change over there? Was it more reconnaissance? and? It was a little bit of everything. Uh, our first mission was IED interdiction because we were in a place called Golistan. Mm. And Golistan was way up. It was like the most northern point of our AO we were operating in. Um, and it was just a little fob, like kind of in with the locals like we had guys cooking stuff out in town and bringing it and selling it for like five bucks a plate which anything was fucking could have been poisoned man we probably still would have been eating it because we were eating ugras dude i mean ugras yeah and that what they're called those big trays oh you maybe. pull the tab and it there's a bunch of water and it heats up underneath i don't remember like us a, having those but maybe maybe it was a delicacy and then for <laughs> we lived on mres for like literally three months at the border one time like are we supposed to be eating these for this long yeah no that's all we had no you're not <laughs> i'll tell you that yeah uh ugr is a mre it's just an oversized one. okay it's all it is okay you pull a tab and there's water underneath it. the chemical falls in the water heats up the big tray of food inside it's like of an it. mre heater probably. disgusting 
It's fucking disgusting, dude. It was a lottery system for our team every time we went out because we would live with the locals for about a week at the to- at a time. Yeah. And often they would make us dinners. Yeah. It was and great. It was like, too. who's going to get the trots this week? Right. Like you're doing an insert, but once you load up in vehicles, there's no bathroom breaks. Yeah. There's nowhere to, no. like, I remember a, hang a your friend ass out of, the side of fucking seven. He's ton. hanging his ass out the back of a seven ton, holding on to the ladder with his pants around his ankles, just shitting down the street. He's like, I don't know what else to do. I've seen that too. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen the exact same thing. <laughs> Wasn't a street, but it was a wadi. You know? was yeah. A humbling experience. Very humbling. Uh, yeah. He, they would cook us uh, these big, these big plates of like mound of like uh, a basmati rice and like shredded chicken. Yeah. And it had like onions in it. It yeah. was so fucking good. It was I would have paid 20 bucks for that. Did they use utensils or did they eat with their hands? The locals? Mm-hmm. They ate with their hands mostly, if I remember correctly. Yeah. It was all hands. And then they used like the flatbread to fucking yep. kind of like a spoon yep. type thing. Yeah. Um, First time I saw that, I was, at, they're just scooping and sucking it yeah. off their fingers. You're like, ah. Yeah. You look at your buddy. He looks at you. Your like, mute? Probably got a good immune system. Fuck it, man. I'm hungry. Yeah. Me too. Like, let's yeah. just dig in. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I'll use my MRE fucking <laughs> hand sanitizer to eat, you know, the food. But yeah, yeah. great uh, food. It uh, was. It was very good. I remember that guy. I forgot his name. He said one of the, he had like a, he, he gave himself an American name. It was funny. It was like Steve or something. <laughs> he wasn't a Steve. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Golistan, uh, our first mission was, uh, so when you rip with another unit, you go out and do a mission with them usually, or their yep. leadership at least, yep. uh, their platoon sergeant. So we did a mission with them and it was to, the only way they were getting supplies was a uh, log train from Leatherneck, which was up a big wadi. There wasn't even a road. Mm. It's a big dry riverbed. Um, and our and they were always getting hit IEDs in this particular area. The guys we ripped with um, uh, had done this mission already before. Um, yeah. There's a big ridge line that overlooked this wadi, and there's numerous villages, you know, scattered along this wadi all the way up to Golistan where we were in this one area. With kept getting hit, kept getting ID'd. Um, so that was our first mission was to interdict the IED layers. Um, we stayed out. We inserted two days before the log train was coming up. Um, yeah, and on that first mission on insert, I had, I mean, my back, uh, never even mentioned it, but on the workup to go to Afghanistan, the FX or the, uh, what did they start calling it? Mojave Viper. Mojave Viper. There you go. Yeah. Mojave Viper. Yeah, my back went out uh, in Mojave Viper and I had to leave Mojave Viper because uh, I couldn't walk, like I couldn't sit up and I've never had an issue before. Um, but back went out and then they're like, are you going to be able to deploy? I was like, Yes, I don't give a fuck what's wrong with me. I'm deploying whatever the like. I didn't care. Uh, the first mission was another movement that was brutal, <laughs> brutal movement. Uh, inserted in the water, like next to this mountain ridge, and we went up the ridge, and then we were just walking around this ridge all night long. Um, and it was like shale, like broken rock. Um, but my on, on the way up, within 30 minutes of that being dropped off, and then it gets quiet, and you're only out there with your your you know your five other dudes. Started walking up this mountain, my back started going out, dude, and I was like, "Fuck!" And I was a point man on my team, and uh, my back started going out. And my, I called my team leader up. I was like, "Dude, can we just sit down for a second? He's like, "I mean, we aren't in the best spot. Like we were on the side of this this face." I was like, just give me like, just give me like five minutes. And I like just ruck flopped, laid back, took my Kevlar off and just laid there. I tried to do like a little bit of movement, like stretching. And then he's like, dude, we got to go. Like we're going to, we can't be getting into, into position. The sun's coming up type thing. And I was like, yeah. all right. 
and I just said, fuck it. It hurt, but it, it, the pain went away. Um, but yeah, first movement, my back went out and I was like, fuck. It always great. feels better after it quits hurting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just it'll quit hurting in a bit. I remember my uncle told me that when I was a kid one time. Like, <laughs> yeah. cut my hand. He's you like, think well, about it. You're like, if Wait. it makes you feel any better, it always feels better after it quits hurting. I was like, yeah. well, no shit. Ain't that like, the truth, right? <laughs> fuck. Uh, so you had some uh, challenging inserts. Every movement was a yeah. fucking challenge there, man, unless we were in a fucking vehicle or a helo. Um, but yeah, the movements are forever ingrained. Yeah. Like, I really remember. The movements and the and the suffering through the movements uh, more than almost anything other than you know a couple encounters, um, but also to mention that deployment, uh, we lost. So we had four uh, four uh, four teams. Yeah, we had four teams uh, to support four companies of battalion Marines. Basically, um, <clears throat> one of our AOs was Nowzad. I wasn't in that. I was in Golestan, mm. and the team was in Nowzad. Uh, and within, I think it was like the third week, uh, one of our point men stepped on an IED in a doorway. Mm -hmm. um, and it took out basically that. No KIAs. Thank God uh, our corpsman, uh, Doc Tran, got the silver star uh, for keeping uh, a couple dudes alive uh, because it was a huge ordeal. Uh, they stepped on it. Uh, one guy was double amputee right away. Um, another one was like... A lot of guys, some guys took stuff to the face. Some guys took stuff throughout their whole body. Um, there was only like two guys that were just like fine and were able to like provide some sort of security. But the cat team that came out to fucking pick up, uh, the sniper team ran over an IED. So they had to dismount. And the sniper team's just waiting to get contact, right? Yeah. They're just waiting like, fuck, fuck. And the cat team's a click out. They had an IED, so they have to dismount. They dismounted one of the A drivers or the, I think it was the uh, assistant team leader, uh, stepped on an IED. So ran over an IED, Cody gets out, steps on an IED. Immediately, it was like a vehicle. It was a, it was a big IED. So he's immediately gone. So KIA right there. So they had to send out another CAT team. They ran over an IED, and, but they just kept going and they made it to the sniper. Thing. I think it took like two and a half, three hours. Um, and I'll, ever, I'll always remember that day, too, because we were listening on the radio at our where we were, and we were listening to the transactions. Fuck, that was the God, one of the worst fucking feelings, because those are your boys, and you can hear them. And you hear them relaying what's happening, and then you're just waiting for contact, and then you're like, great. That's just like, and you're, you know, not that far away, but just helpless. Yeah. And that helpless feeling is what, uh, just like, man that helpless feeling is terrible. Um, just really wanted to do something, but that set the precedent. So now there's only three sniper teams to support a thousand Marines, right? So I, from that moment on, we were living out of rucksacks. We were doing it. We were somewhere else every two to four weeks. We were somewhere else. Tempo just went through the Tempo roof. Tempo through the roof, yeah. Uh, um, we did, I think we were, the call for fire, the amount of call for fire we did um, was significant. Um, bunch of 120s um there's one specific mention if i could remember the officer's name i wish i could because i'd blast him out right now um because i for what he did or what the call he made was completely wrong so uh one mission 
was actually, we went to Nowzad after, like a couple months after that happened. Nowzad was a terrible place. You know anything about Nowzad? I do. So it's, I, a, it's a significant city. The team that I left when I got out in 2007 went to Nowzad in 2008. So and we were there right after them. I think we replaced them. Was it three they, five or something? Two, two, seven. two seven. Two seven. Yeah, it was two seven. They killed like a hundred and fifty dudes that deployment. Yeah. Now Zad. Like, <laughs> now Zad. It was a guns free zone. It was. Yeah. There was no ROEs there. Yep. There was no women or children. It was all yeah. dudes. I'm trying to get to get into shit. A couple of them maybe faked. Yeah. Some farming and bullshit, but dude, everybody was just wanted to kill you. I'm trying to get him to come in and and do the podcast with me. He travels full time now on a motorcycle, just gotcha. living his best life. Yeah. But like Cheers they would go out every night. There was two teams that go every they'd interchange each night and just hunt dudes off of the wall of that city. Yeah. And shoot them off the wall, and then wait for their QRF to come and call in artillery. Yep. Then they stopped hanging over the wall, and they'd shoot slingshot rocks out there and get them to peek through the holes mm-hmm. and drill them, and then wait for their call them in artillery. And they they like we didn't have to stay out overnight at all. We just went went after we found some dudes and went took care of them, and we'd go back and sleep for twenty four hours, and then it was our turn the next day after but yeah now zad what well, i mean it was a city like thirty thousand people at one yeah. point so it's a massive place yeah. and it had been enemy ridden for probably mm-hmm. years at least maybe two or three years mm-hmm. of just straight up wild west yeah so there was ieds yeah all the fuck over the place yeah. so after that team stepped on that one we were like all right well we're not setting up urban anymore we're doing all rural yep. mountainsides whatever if we um we did patrol with the grunts here and there always had engineers but they were making ieds they were using water bottles and they were putting low magnetic uh strips on in each side of the water bottle so the detector wouldn't even pick it up it hmm. would maybe but most of the time it wouldn't and they were making these ieds to where the water bottle was right under something soft maybe like one layer of dirt or like something soft and if you stepped on the water bottle, touch the two plates together and boom. Yeah. Um, so even the minesweepers, you weren't 100% uh, certain you weren't going to hit an ID, right? So the place was fucked. Yeah. Um, it was just bad dudes. And uh, our battalion got tasked with clearing Nowzad. Um, and one of our missions was uh, the the the, uh, the fob we were in was on the... Uh, it was on the uh, west side of the the, the uh, city, and then they had another fob like north of it, and we flew into Nauzad, and then we drove up to the other little. It's like even a smaller little. It's just a little combat outpost, dude. It was a former like uh, police station or something, and there were some a- Afghani dudes there, but they were zero fucking help. They were all fucked up all the time, um, doing drugs, doing drugs. Yeah, that yeah, was a big thing, really big thing. The, Make a sh- real quick story. The uh, I was I was out on a mission at the time, but the fob that fob we were at, there was two sniper or yeah, there, we had two sniper teams there at one point because we were supporting this big op to clear through Nowzad. It called it Operation Cobra's Anger. Um, but there was a there was a uh, fob standoff between the Marines and the Afghani guys because the lieutenant kept telling their lieutenant to quit fucking smoking weed and quit doing the hashish and quit drinking the the uh, the uh, they made what some sort of tea with like the uh, opiate tea or something. It was mm. crazy, but they were just so fucked up. Now there was a couple guys that cared about you know they weren't all bad, but 
majority of them were shit. Not bad as in like just not good humans to be in combat with. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. just not reliable. Yeah, you don't want dudes hopped up on opioids yeah. going into or stoned and just yeah. slow and not you know, you know just it is what it is. But yeah, there was a there was a fox Picking upper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're gonna do something yeah. and then run towards the fire. <laughs> uh, yeah, that uh, there was a complete fob standoff. We could hear it over the net. Uh, it was pretty wild. So they were like guns drawn at each other, wow. um, twenty feet away. Damn. But uh, yeah, that happened. And then uh, Operation Cobra's anger. This one, this one story that really I think about quite a bit these days, and I kind of forgot about it for a long time. Um, but being in Nowzad, I really wanted. Uh, revenge for that for the, the team that got blown up right luckily we didn't lose any guys um but they took out a whole team and we were there for fucking revenge right um and to just not have any other people die hopefully right um to protect all the grunts out there um or to help them um uh, but we went uh <clears throat> so we were north of the the big the main fob i wouldn't say big but we're like the company uh Company XO and stuff were, we were at this little fob. I think the highest uh, rank was lieutenant. I think it was just a lieutenant, uh, like a uh, platoon commander or whatever at this fob with one uh, platoon of Marines and then two sniper teams. Um, but we spent a week planning this mission to support Operation Cobra's Anger, which was a sweep through Nalzad using Miklicks, which are huge, massive. It's just a big rope of C4. They shoot it out of like a, they, they were coming off Abrams or tracks. They were shooting them out and it just clears everything. Mm -hmm. It's the loudest, biggest explosion. It's like a JDAM going off, like a thousand pounder wow. uh, going off. It's, they're massive explosions. Those, those grunts on the ground that were right next to it probably, God damn, I can't imagine being close to one of those when you go off. I mean, you, it rattles your brain every time. I mean, we were getting rattled from a click away. Like wow. we were getting rattled by them, but just so we, uh, we planned this mission to a T where you have Nalzad um, and you have a couple fobs on the north and west side of it, but basically all of the east side and the further east you get, it was more unknown, more unknown, more unknown, more unknown. Um, There's two big, it's a big valley, two big mountain ridges on each side. And on one side, um, the mountain ridge kind of split and a big finger came down and then the, the ridge kept going, but there was a draw up through this up through there and it was on the side which there was no friendly forces on so me and my tl plan to set up right where that draw is because when they start setting off these miklicks when the when the operate and the op starts they're gonna fucking squirt they're mm -hmm. sure gonna squirt and where are they gonna squirt they're gonna either gonna go just up the wadi or they're gonna come through here and taliban are smart or at least their leaders are the commanders are um they knew we had night vision. They knew we had drones. Um, so, oh, yeah. yeah, they back to uh, that. Mid so we insert and we insert pretty far away because if you were to insert close where they could hear a helicopter, they would know you motherfuckers. They just landed somewhere. Yeah. So we inserted way out, like I think like 12 clicks or 10 clicks out from where we needed to be. And it was flat desert. We inserted by Huey's. And this is another fucking movement that took my soul. This is one where uh, we also took two grunts with us because at the time it was six. And then um, a recon unit that we were working with at the time got 
enveloped and overrun and killed. Um, so they they wanted to up the amount of guys. So they're like, y'all take a couple grunts. Eight minimum. Yeah. So we I think we had eight. Maybe it was, yeah, it was eight. We had eight guys. Um, and yeah, another brute, it was a two-day movement or two-night movement, I should say, because we don't move during the day. So we moved all night when we got inserted. We got to one position. We stopped on top of this ridge line, um, but we were still like four or five clicks from our where we needed to set up. The op hadn't started yet. Um, so we sleep or we, you know, hide side all day, a couple guys up, uh, rest guys resting, the rest of the dudes resting. Um, and then the second night we moved again. So it was a two night movement. Um, brutal, brutal movement. Um, there's no other way to put it. It was fucking like. It's also difficult to hike in the dark. In the dark. It's not like you have flashlights on your heads. Correct. Like you, you're using NVGs to walk across the ridge of a mountain. Correct. W- full kit. Full kit. It's yeah. It's fucking hard. With an AR. It's fucking hard. With a vest. Yeah. With twelve rounds. With a T-bone sniper rifle. With batteries. With water. It's yeah. We were out there for five days, so we had enough stuff. Yeah. To last us five days. That's a lot of weight. It's a lot. A lot of weight. Um. So yeah, brutal movement again. And to just get there without getting injured. Yeah. 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 That was a big, like, there was a couple of times that you flip and fall, you're fucking rolling down, dude. Oh, yeah. You're going to probably not get found. Um, brutal movement. So the plan on this mission was to get the squirters coming out the back end, right? So we get into position. The next day after the night we get in position, we probably got into position at like 3 or 4 a.m. And uh, uh, the next day is when the Marines are going to start pushing through Nalzad and clearing it. <clears throat> so the Miklik started. Uh, that night, uh, the first night is when we were probably like, all right, well, since all this shit's going on, all the commotion, these big explosions going off, they see fucking 500 Marines on getting online and walking through. You don't want to be in front of that, yeah. dude. Um, and there were some engagements the first day, small ticks and whatnot. Um, but out of, out of our distance, we were, I mean, we were, we were pretty far behind enemy lines. Um, um, but the first night after they started... The, the mission that we planned in our heads of how it would work, it played out right in front of our fucking eyes, right? Um, That's a good feeling. It was, man. So we're up on this ridge, and there's two teams of us. So we're we we're we're on either side of this draw that comes out the back of this out out the back of Nalzad, basically. Um, and we're probably about a click away from like the closest buildings, so you can see them and you can see people through through our our optics and whatnot. Um, but uh, about midnight, the first night, here you go. Everybody gets woke. Hey, we got, we got movement, blah, blah, blah. Everybody get up. What is it, dude? Like, come on. And then, you know, we get eyes on. We had a predator support above us at the time, luckily. So I don't know if you've ever seen at night. It's, it's like a cheat code, man. The predator IR beacon. Have you ever seen that at night? Uh, no. So they can, the predators can put down an IR square, basically, it's like the size of like a basketball court. It just illuminates everything. Wow. So we spot these guys. We call it in. They get the predator above them, and they have the IR thing right on them. But there's so many of them that they extend beyond the, the IR. But we had IR. We had thermals. We had everything. We could see them. And it takes them, I don't know, we were watching them for 45 minutes. And then uh, here they come right up this draw. And we were like, this is worked out. <laughs> When does this happen? You know, when do you plan a mission and everything works 
like it should, right? It's like being a kid playing hide and seek and like watching them not be able to find you. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Like, <laughs> you're, such, it was, you're just giddy. And a month before this, our <laughs> team just got blown up by these motherfuckers. Oh, yeah. So we're like, this is why Checkmate. we're here. Mate. Right? Yeah. So they get closer and closer and closer. They're moving in buddy teams, right? They're moving in buddy teams. We're in Nowzad. They're obviously bad dudes. They're moving at midnight. Yeah. They have rucks on. There was no confirmed weapons they were holding, right? I'll get to that, but there was no, con- we couldn't confirm anything. We could see they had rucks on. They were moving in buddy teams. They know our ROEs too. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, so they're walking closer and closer into us, and they get to the point where they're so close where, and we're we're talking to the uh, XO at the time, and this is the guy's name I can't remember. One of my buddies will probably text me after they see this and tell me his name so I can give him a big fuck you. But uh, uh, we're relaying everything we're seeing back. Buddy teams, there's probably 15 to 20 of these guys, and they're walking right towards us exactly how he planned. Permission to engage. You have to get PID. You have to get PID. You have to get PID. It's like how is moving at midnight in buddy teams with rucks on the day after the op starts, what the fuck do you think this is? If their civilians are going to move during the day, they aren't going to move during the night. They're not going to move. It's just a them. hiking meetup group. And there was Come no, on. Yeah, yeah. There was no fucking civilians there, man. It was a fucking, it was the, it was the Wild West there. There was no, I never saw one woman. I never saw one child there. Yeah. That's um, why it was a gun free zone. Yeah. Um, Trigger free or whatever, whatever, you whatever. Would call it. Yeah. Uh, so they get so close. They're within. I mean, we could hear them whispering. They could probably hear us whispering because they were. They got to the point where they were so close to us. When I say close, I'm probably saying a thousand meters. But at night, when you're in the rocks, oh, okay. you can hear fucking. If I undid a button, you could probably hear it yeah. from where they were. They were close enough to where I could just lob a frag down who smells like patchouli yeah or they could probably smell the cowboy <laughs> cocaine as well which is the fucking snuff copenhagen that you put up your nose oh, uh, yeah. to stay awake we were using that too um that's another story but they get so close to us that they start hearing us mm-hmm. and they start freezing and they'll be like they they knew we were there yeah. they were like oh fuck. like i can't imagine how they felt yeah i knew how i felt and i was like this is it it's on now motherfuckers like now you're gonna get yours um we just kept getting denied, kept getting denied, kept getting denied. Don't engage, don't engage. It got to the point where I almost just like threw a rock. I tried to get him to to do something. Yeah. Like I, but I was a, was I a corporal at the time? I don't know if I was a corporal yet. I was low rank. There were stories of guys going to jail. Like it's yeah. always on the back of your mind. Absolutely. But these guys were the guys. <clears throat> they were the fighting element in Nalzad, you know, at least some of them. Um, and we got denied, denied over it. We probably asked 30 for 30 minutes to engage these guys and got all denied. And we had them dead to rights. There was two teams on either side, 100 meters. I could throw a grenade and land it right in their lap, basically. And they could hear us. We could hear them. It was just like, at one point, they were frozen. Like, they could hear us because we, I mean, it's a sniper team, you can't be, there can't be non-existent sound. I mean, you're going to make noise if you're moving if you're on the radio, if you're clicking something, like you're going to hear something. They heard us. Rifles set up, yeah, positions they set heard up. Us. Yeah. Because they would freeze and you could tell they were probably shitting their pants, man. Um, but yeah, I think it was the XO kept denying us. They just moved through us. Did he have a justification? Well, I'll finish. He, yeah, his justification, there's no PID. But then, they so they go up this draw we were watching and they kind of over the, 
over the top of it, which was maybe 500 meters from us. And then about 20 minutes after they're out of sight of us, they fucking, the EXO kills them with the Predator. Drops Predator's bombs on them, Hellfire's on them, and kills them and gets, I think he wrote himself up an award too for that. That sounds very familiar. So I think about that quite a bit now these days because I look back and I'm just like, that was my chance to get revenge for the fucking, you know, the whole team they fucked up and sent home. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard, man. But fuck that officer, whoever he was. <laughs> Gave himself clearance. It's fucking bullshit. Yeah. And, you know, stuff like that. It's, I mean, it, it is what it is. It happens more than people know. Um, it is what it is, though. It, it's why dudes get out, man. Yeah. It is why I got out because of the, and the leadership. I mean, it, yeah, I'll just leave it there, man. <laughs> I'll just leave it there. But yeah, I, hear I got out because of, uh, yeah, the Marine Corps doesn't put leaders where they should be. They they bring in what also blew my they mind is- eat them and shit them out. Yeah, and what also blew my mind is they would bring in uh, non-combat MOS uh, leadership and mm-hmm. put them in the grunts. Yep. I thought that was in fucking sane. Yeah, I talked about that with Eric Morantes. When you, when you pick up staff in the infantry, you get pushed out to be a drill instructor That's or a recruiter, shit. and then they bring in these, uh, yeah, logistics guys or whoever. Yeah, we had a to, machinist. We had a 15-year first sergeant machinist that was in charge of weapons company. Yeah, no had, idea what to do. No idea. Yeah. No it's idea. painful, man. It's real painful. Ugh, so, yeah. so you got out. What did you do then? Um, I got out and then I started, uh, I heard about contracting while I was in and I realized that, uh, that, uh, that was where the money was and I wanted to make money. Um, and I was young and I started contracting, started working, uh, uh, for triple canopy in, uh, 2000, end of 2010, uh, started working for triple canopy department of state thing in Baghdad. That's all the only place I went for triple canopy was in Baghdad. Um, me too. So Baghdad was pretty pretty lax compared to being a grunt in the Marine Corps. You get uh, pretty nice amenities. Were you uh, on the embassy or were you? I at? was in the the palace next door. Yep. Yep. Um, forgot what it was called. They moved to the embassy shortly. Yeah, after shortly that. after. Yeah. I wasn't there when they did that. I was actually started at the man camp right on the river, yep. and then they closed that down. And I was and we transitioned to the to the uh, palace. Um, but yeah, that was a good time. I mean, yeah. We were getting paid a lot. Um, Hillary Clinton wasn't. It was our boss, though. So, like, you could, if you picked your nose, you felt like you're gonna get fired or something. You always on the verge of getting fired. It felt like every yeah. guy was every, every guy was on the verge of getting fired. They were just wanting to fire you. You know, um, there's a lot of resentment I felt from State Department toward the security very much so. guys. Yeah, there was times where we really up people. strange. Yeah, very strange because we'd pick up people, um, whether they be you know aid workers, teachers, whoever the fuck it is. Uh, we'd pick up to take them wherever they need to go give them protection, and they would stick their noses up at us oh, like we yeah. weren't needed. Oh, yeah, I remember But if you there go was... out there by yourself, lady, yeah, it won't end well oh, yeah. for you. There was a client one time that made the comment that this is why I'm making my kid go to college <laughs> so that they don't end up like these guys, right? Like half the team had degrees, bitch. Like what the yeah. fuck are you talking about? The smartest guys I knew were on those contracts. Oh, you know, yeah. Just, that's oh, where I learned a lot too. Dudes with master's degrees, yeah. dudes that were Killing just it. all around gifted at everything. Mm-hmm. Intelligent, athletic, mm-hmm. good shooters, good communicators. Mm-hmm. And they just like felt that we were, I don't know. Unnecessary. Like they, criminals or yeah, something. Yeah, they didn't need us. And it, the only thing that inmates. shifted that was when they overran the green zone in yeah. 2014. All of a sudden, we were heroes oh, again. Oh, of course. 
right? Order. And I remember we were told, uh, like, you have to carry your rifles with you everywhere. And that didn't get past lunch, where we then had to break them down and carry them in backpacks because it scared the State Department people to see rifles. It's like, we're in Baghdad. Like, that is the most useless government program I've ever been exposed to. Yeah, I figured that out pretty quick, and that's when I started looking elsewhere. Me too, me too. It's like a bunch of college kids that watched House of Cards on rerun and all thought they were going to be the next next tier-level government person, and they just blew money. Like, it was blank checks having parties, and it was international uh, yeah. you know, relationship building, but it was just them getting drunk and there catered so many parties, parties with I DJs I, yeah. and the full works. I compared the, the embassy in Baghdad in 2010-11 to like a college campus. Dude. Absolutely. It was what it Absolutely. was. Absolutely. To find like leadership there was very difficult. There was, uh, uh, don't get me wrong, there was good people there working for the State Department. The, the ambassador that we had was a good dude as well. Forget his fucking name, unfortunately. Um, but... Overall, shite. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't oh, yeah. Uh, the best. So, Ford. yeah, that had me looking elsewhere. Um, yeah, and then I worked for SOC for, uh, from 2012. I was actually forced to resign Triple Canopy, actually, because I had my resume on LinkedIn, mm. and my resume said I was PSS. That's the, really all it said, and it gave a definition of, like, personal security detail or whatever it was called. Yeah. Um, and... A few guys, they they did this too. Uh, yeah, they were like, you can get fired or you can resign. And we were like, what is this for? They're like, your resume's on LinkedIn. It's like, the ambassador's resume's on LinkedIn. Like, what the fuck are y'all talking about? They just wanted to, they, they were trying to fire guys. For sure, for sure. Um, so I resigned. Um, then I went to Moyak because I was going to transfer to Afghanistan. I started working for Blackwater. It was called... Uh, Academy. Academy at the time, yeah. Um, and I was in Moyak. And then I got a call from another, uh, from SOC Special Programs to get on the OGA side. Um, I got that call and I was like, dropped it. I was like, sorry guys, it's just a better opportunity. I'm sorry if you don't understand. So I went that route and did that for 2000, uh, mid 2012 to 2016. Um, and that was, I would probably still be doing that. Honestly, if I didn't meet my wife, if I didn't hurt my back, I'd probably still be doing that contract. Um, just because of the quality of dude, the caliber of guy, uh, that was there, you always, yeah, this is brotherhood, man. Uh, the guys that, that worked there, uh, were all top caliber. I mean, there's a couple guys that squeaked through that probably shouldn't have been there. Um, but it's the opposite dynamic when I got over to the OGA. So I was with Patriot group. Okay. And so I felt like very opposite like dynamic. triple canopy was almost like big Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. was infantry like mm-hmm. where 20% of the dudes you'd, you'd pick to go to yeah. combat. Yeah. When I got over to Patriot group, it was 80, 90%. You had like maybe one or two dudes. You're like, eh, and probably you, wouldn't be my top pick. But the whole program was solid. Yeah. It, I noticed that in training. I was yeah. like, oh, wow. Okay, this yeah. is where I need to be. Like, this is the training itself compared to the state. I mean, the State Department training, the the the, the, qual, the qual for that, semi-challenging. But I was a Marine. I never really shot a Glock before until then. Um, and I passed that with, with ease. Same. Um, Yep. The OGA side, I was worried. I was like, fuck, I might fail this shit. Oh, yes. For sure, I might fail this shit. Um, Just because the speed and accuracy um, is pretty harped on. And uh, working with, uh, you know, really small units, two-man. I was actually listening to uh, Tony, uh, uh, what's his last name? The podcast he just came out with on uh, Sean Ryan. Um, Tony Cowden. 
Cowden, I think, but he was GRS and he was the one who uh, pretty much it changed from like 2011-ish, right when I was going through, it changed from operating two-man heavily or four-man heavily to one-man uh, like uh, CQB, uh, hand-to-hand stuff. So it was really harped on in uh, learning how to do just real minimalist uh, clearing, room clearing, yeah. training. Um, and I loved that shit, man. Me too. Um, some of the best training I ever received was through that through that program. Um, as far as shooting, even just the hands-on stuff. Um, I mean, they would put scenarios in front of you that really challenged you, and you really had to either think or you know get killed. The house is the litmus test. Like, yeah, you yeah. can't. You can monkey see, monkey do through a lot of things, but once you get in the house, you have to be intelligent. You have got to be able to cognitively process the room, make decisions very make fast, decisions, and that's yeah. what really sets people apart. Is the house? Yeah, is you can sit on a flat range and shoot at something that's not shooting back all mm-hmm. day long. Like that's just learning trigger control, mm-hmm. breath work, whatever. hundred percent, dude. You get in the house and start trading paint with people and have to work the tactics and work the rooms and, and know your angles. You can quickly see who you shouldn't be there. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. man. And that's you, where most like, of the guys, are. I remember partnering up with, with like, you find a buddy that you're like, man, him and I don't even have to talk. Yeah. Like we can run through this whole house together. Don't have to say a fucking we are, word. Don't. Yep. And that's where those bonds get built. Yeah. And you're like, I will go to war with him. Yep. Anywhere, anytime. And you're in a group of professional war fighters. Yeah. And it feels that way. Yeah. And yeah, it was yeah. 100%, an dude. honor to be among them. That's why I said uh, I would still be doing that, yep. man. And I and I even had the uh, imposter syndrome there, too. I was like, yeah. I, how, do I, how am I here, man? There's some fucking legends, you Me know, that too. I'm working with. Um, I think everyone feels imposter syndrome when they get to a new job. Yeah, of like course. I you, think it's natural. You sure. meet the requirements, you understand the training, but you haven't done it enough yet for it to be second nature. Yeah. You haven't earned your place among them to a degree where they see you as an equal or you even see yourself as an equal. Cause like even when I was an EMT, you know, I'm the first time I got to a cardiac arrest, like I know in my head what to do, but I haven't really done it yet on an actual dead guy. Yeah. And so you exactly. work, you work through a couple of those calls and you maybe save a life and like, all right, this shit does work. Yep. I do now know what I'm doing. Yeah. Once you put your training takes to the time. test and you right. gain the confidence, you're like, time. okay. It takes it's, time. I mean, that's kind of everything in life, man. So. Uh, you, you don't really learn until you start doing it. And, you know, you get hands-on experience. Um, that's why you'll never, you know, know if you could have done something until you you actually, you know, take action and do it. For sure. Um, but yeah, worked for them till 2016. Um, I was mostly in northern Iraq, uh, a beautiful town called The Hook, uh, which is almost like Colorado, man. It's a really nice city. Have you ever been to The Hook? No, I've been to Erbil. Erbil, yeah. So you'd fly into Erbil, and then it was like a little Indiana Jones D3 flight, land on a dirt runway uh, in, in, in The Hook. And uh, it was a great, it was a really cool place. And working with the Kurds, man, the Kurds. Yeah. Uh, the Kurds are really good people. Yeah. Um, they didn't trust the U.S. government for sure. They trusted us as people, like the dudes that were there, but they did not trust at all the government. Because, smart guys. Yeah, very smart guys. <laughs> Neither do I, dude. Like, yeah, fuck. right. Don't blame uh, me at all. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm here. They write my checks, but fuck them. Um, no, <laughs> no, it was a great experience. Um, I like I said, the, just because of the caliber of dude involved. Um, and and then just the the paths you could take once you started on that path. I mean, there was plenty of things to do um, if you wanted to, to to carry on your career in that. Um, unfortunately, I herniated two discs in my lower back, 
not even on a, not even doing anything. I was, we were training. I opened a, opened a, a, a hatch door that was on the floor. Um, and I just pulled with my back and I already had back issues. I mean, you, I yeah. told you about Afghanistan that probably just at the time, I didn't know how bad it was. Um, but I'm pretty sure I had, uh, uh, some bulges and then that one movement, uh, wrecked me, dude. Uh, it put me down. I was like, Oh, I can stick this out. Cause I felt, I've kind of felt that pain before. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time ISIS was, uh, full bore and we were in the hooks pretty close to Mosul and that was the yep. stronghold. Yep. Um, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of just Intel stuff, but, uh, I didn't want to be a liability uh, to my guys, and then obviously to the, the, the people uh, we're protecting as well. I mean, being a liability, you can't be a liability if you're a liability. I mean, I understand that like if if something were to happen and my back, my back's okay, right? I could I could probably do what I needed to do, but if something happened and I need to grab somebody or carry somebody, if yeah. I went to pick up somebody, and then I go down because of my back, and I go down because of a back injury. That's fucked. I mean, that, you're just fucking. You're you're being a buddy fucker. That's man. the responsible decision, man. Like we have to self-analyze when we we're in positions like that on teams like that. If you get hurt and and you're like, we're all tough, right? Yep. We're all going to stick it through. But if I'm physically incapable of meeting the standard, I need to remove myself. Not sit around and float yep. until you know, they I'm force good. me to go mm-hmm. home and act like I'm okay. Like, no, man, there needs to be someone in that position that isn't injured that can throw a dude over Correct. his shoulder and run Correct. him out because his family's counting on that. Correct. Exactly. That's, that's a hard decision to make, man. Yeah, you're looking from 60,000 feet rather <laughs> than just right there, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's what you have to do. Um, and for me, I was uh, – uh, that was another time in life that was pretty challenging. So after that happened, I mean, I think I was, uh, what year was that? 2016. So uh, I was 29, 30 at the time. And then that happening, uh, really, uh, I mean, not being like, not having the ability to perform really mentally fucked with me, man. Mm. Like, uh, I went to a dark place, 2016, 17, um, because I wasn't getting better. But I also wasn't doing the correct things to get better, right? Um, and being like it, having that type of injury, like anything disc or spine wise sucks. And if most of us know that, um, and you know what it's like for your back to go out, you're pretty fucking helpless. Like I've had to have my wife help me pick, like help pick me up and shit. Um, but at the time I was single, uh, lived by myself. Um, but yeah, I got home, started getting treatment, but it was like bullshit. It was like by the book PT, like, here, do the fucking cat cow fucking stretch. It's like, all right. But I was doing it. Um, but I was also drinking heavily. Um, I was going out a lot with my fucking, because fr- I had been working for the government for from 2006 to 16, basically, um, going back and forth overseas, man. Um, so like my, my prime, like my, you know, younger years was all spent, you know, pretty, I mean, I'm grateful for it, um, spent in shitty places of the world. Like, I would do it all over again because of what it gave me today. Um, but yeah, 2016, I came home, uh, started doing treatment from my back, started getting the pain pills. Um, and uh, got a lot of people don't know this, but I got really, I got addicted to, to painkillers, like bad. Like I was taking um, 10 milligram Vicodin by the handful. Like I was taking like three to five at a time. Wow. And I was also working out because the Vicodin not only would like numb me, but I could not feel really my back pain, right? And I could fucking push myself in the gym, but I'm fucking taking these 
painkillers and I'm taking them every day. And I'm also taking sleep aids because I can't fucking sleep. Um, I was taking sleep aids, you know, overseas as well because sleeping overseas, especially when there's shit going down, it's it's hard to wind down, man. And I've always was at that like high level of of like operation that night. And like, it's just hard to, I didn't realize it at the time how wound up I was, like how, 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 how like, not like I wasn't restful, like I couldn't rest. Um, but yeah, um, got addicted to painkillers and uh, really was in a bad spot probably for like, I don't know, eight to nine months. I was taking, I was taking, uh, I don't know, I was taking, like, like I said, I remember, I specifically remember one day and I was taking them like in the morning too. Like I was taking them before I would go to the gym and just being in a fucking coma basically, but I had felt no pain and lifting weights, you know, dosed out of my mind on painkillers, man. It was wild time. And then I was getting Hell of fucked a free up. Like, drink. Yep. <laughs> Surprised my heart last. And they're held up, dude, honestly. <laughs> Did you ever have your testosterone level checked? Uh, yes, not at the time reason like a few for the past couple years i have been yeah um then no i did not even didn't even wasn't even thinking about it um that affects a lot of guys does particularly i guarantee i was low t because of coming out of what i did yeah and then being this injured dude like it really fucked with me like i was such a high level like i was competitive high level could i could felt like i could do fucking anything um i could fight anybody i didn't care um, and then all of a sudden my back's broken, dude. And I can't even like do the things I enjoy anymore. It was like mentally at 30 or, you know, high, upper twenties, I was really fucking down about it. Like it really fucked, like fucked with my brain. There's a whole lot of things going on there. Cause you've got, you know, multiple deployments, right. And having the, that cortisol level at a high rate for an extended period of time kills testosterone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then you throw painkillers on top of that, yeah. particularly opioids, it kills testosterone. And what that does in your body, it, it affects your mood, your d depression, anxiety, yeah, yeah. weight gain, impotence, hair loss, like all of those Everything. things. And many, many of them overlap with PTSD. Yes. 100%, and so dude. when I went to the VA and was like, listen, like I'm exhausted. I've got all these things. And they're like, well, you just got back from Iraq. Like you've got PTSD. Do you want to talk to a counselor? We can get you some antidepressants. We can mm -hmm. get you, which is just going to put you further down that rabbit hole. Yep. And I was like, no, I'm not going that route. I, I need I need to figure out where my hormone levels are at. Mm -hmm. And they flat out told me no. Yeah, they so deny I, you fucking blood tests, which is fucking they bullshit. They did. They're like, I don't want to do that. I was like, well, I they guess. They should give you a full panel blood okay. test whenever you ask, dude. <laughs> you shouldn't have to argue it, you know. Yeah. And, uh, They're trying to save a fucking buck. I went and got my levels done, and I came in at 350 at 34 years Pretty old. Low. Yeah. And my 75-year-old dad was at 351. Oh, fuck. He was so proud that he beat me by a point, right? And he's like 40-something years older wow, than dude. I am. And and then I started to kind of work for uh, an HRT company a little bit, sort of really kind of learning and going down that rabbit hole. And it was like, yeah, these guys are all these deployments, all this exposed long-term stress it's just killing testosterone, sure. which affects your mental, For your sure. headspace a Huge. great deal. And then you go to the VA and they just want to give you antidepressants. Yeah. They don't even want to check your hormone levels. Like, what are guys killing themselves because of this shit? Probably, yeah. At least some. I think so, too. 100%. And I ended up helping probably a dozen or, or two dozen of my friends just kind of down that path. Like, 
what should I go do? Where should I go? Like find a TRT clinic, find your, your doctor, someone who understands that shit and will we'll at least test you. We'll mm-hmm. Find out what it is. If that's mm-hmm. not what it is, fine. You may have PTSD yeah, too. 100%. That's okay. We can deal with that. But if we never focus on the physiological issue, we just assume it's pause. psychological yeah. and we only treat that, you're not going to get better. No, not at all. And yeah, man, that yeah, was same, a journey same, for me. Same shit with the VA. I went yeah. to them too. They just offered me more fucking pain pills yeah. type thing. Um and then I started getting my blood work finally from, uh, luckily my wife uh, works and I get to use her insurance. So okay. I don't really have to go to the VA except for the the year, the the yearly visit I have to go to. And every time I go, I'm, okay, maybe not every time, but 80% of the time I go to the VA, I'm fucking let down. Like, it's just like, I'm talking to somebody that doesn't know what they're talking about. Or I'm talking to somebody that knows nothing about my record, mm-hmm. that knows nothing about my injuries, that knows nothing about my problems. It's just like a complete shit show, usually. Um, I had a real interesting discussion with one recently and he kept telling me like, no, they don't allow that. They, and I was like, who is that? Yeah. Who the fuck is like the FDA? I was like, you're another scam of an organization. I feel like I'm sitting here talking to a human teleprompter that just types my stuff in the computer and then reads off the treatment plan that he's given to tell. Like I could do that. Yeah. That's what it is. You're trained by the FDA. A lot. Who, who approves the poison that we're fed and then the medications to treat the ter- the chronic diseases the that cost. that shit yeah. creates. And they're getting money from corporations on both sides and they're training the doctors in the middle with a PhD on the wall so I won't question him. Yep. Fuck you, man. Just make you a fucking obedient little consumer, man, and just keep you in a trance is what they want, man. It's uh, it's terrible and it... it Thank God for the internet, dude, because now the access to information is there. And if you try a little bit, you can access the information and figure out that it's all a big machine that's fed by fucking greed. Ben. That's a great and point, man. It's uh, The internet is like the saving grace of thank it God. all. But even now it's coming, it's it's even hard to decipher what's real and what's not now. Yeah. Um, and that's the yeah. challenge now. They keep muddy in the water. Yeah, dude. Um, but yeah, it's all a big power greed machine that we're feeding. How did um, you get healthy? So... Uh, I was. Are, are you healthy? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You look like you no, look I'm great. great now I actually just got my blood work. It's funny you brought that up because I got my blood a full panel three weeks ago, and my testosterone's at 758, wow. and I'm on nothing. So good for you, man. So yeah, I, I the first time I got my testosterone, I was uh maybe 2018. I think I was at like four something, mm. um, and I was younger. Um, but now yeah, I'm at high or mid sevens. Uh, everything was golden on my on my on my blood panel. Um. Knock on wood, dude. Fuck. Uh, Good for you, said man. That. But yeah, great uh, high tea. What are you doing? Um, so I've experimented the, probably the past like four or five years with diet. I've really uh, listened to a lot of uh, – I'm really big on on uh, putting effort on what you can control, right? So like the number one thing you can control are your thoughts and what you put in your body, right? So you have control of your mind, whether you like it or not, unless you're, you know, a psychopath, which maybe I am. <laughs> no, no, but, but uh, we're all a little, bit. yeah, a little bit. <laughs> uh, but you have control of your mind, right? So you can control your thoughts, um, and you can also control what you put in your body. And I think learning that it's like I never really paid attention to what I was eating. I mean, I knew what I was eating, but I didn't know what was really in the food I was eating. I was just eating to eat to to fill my belly, I guess, with intention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so I just started listening to different uh, guys, uh, 
I think, uh, you know, a few guys on Rogan, uh, like uh, Sean Baker is a good guy to follow. He's strictly carnivore. But just the information he put, provides about what, you know, beef, especially grass-fed uh, 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 animal fats do for you, co- or like health-wise, cognitively even. Um, just taking in as much knowledge as I could about diet and then applying it to myself and seeing what, I, what kind of reactions I'd get. Um, and I did that. I've probably been doing that since my, you know, you know, 30, 31, maybe 32. I started experimenting with diets, done everything from paleo to carnivore to uh, keto to I've done it all except vegan, vegetarian. We'll never do that um, just because <laughs> we're not made for that. I honestly believe that. And, and it's my opinion. Um, we're not just made to eat fucking plants. It's not how we uh, evolved. We evolved from eating meat, especially I feel like, cooked meat. I feel like that's been pretty disproven. Correct. That, I mean, there's like, there's cases that people can be vegan, 100% vegan or vegetarian yeah. and be healthy. But it also has to do a lot with where your history is, your family history, how you, your genes, like your- I think what, they end up having to supplement a lot as well. 100%. Like you're not just, you're having to supplement for 100%. what you're not getting. Well, if you also, if you take scans of, of people's bone density and, and bone size that have been vegan or vegetarian for a long time, your bones shrink. Because they're really? not, yeah, you're not getting the right, you're not getting the right, uh, you know, vitamins and nutrients that your body needs because it's completely eliminated. Hmm. Like maybe if you don't want to eat meat, you know, as your main, you know, source, they don't, but you do need meat in your life. And I can just get, I mean, after, I don't know about you, but when I have like a hard day at the gym or just a hard day in general, my body's like tired um, and I'm hungry and I cook myself a, a you know, a rare steak and, and you know, and grass fed butter or something. After I eat that, I feel euphoric. Like mm. my body, you can just feel feel the like the nutrients like absorb into your body it's it's really euphoric for me especially if i'm like really hungry because mm. i don't i don't eat lunch i eat breakfast and uh dinner um but you can almost just feel it working like almost instantly and and just cognitively too if you up your animal fats man it's uh it, it's life-changing for me it was um and i the, the thing that i changed most was what i was putting in my body um stopped really eating out i started cooking most of my own food um i eat very minimal but but controlling what you put in your body it has a big deal with your mental your mental state um it, it, at least for me um and then cleaning up my diet and eating the right things really uh kind of propelled me into uh you know opening my mind even more to different things but um definitely diet number 1 was okay. was the was a huge change in eliminating obviously if you can cut drinking yeah. Drinking alcohol. I mean, the shit's poison. It's what it is. It's a poison. Um, I drink With a, a really cool side effect. Yeah. For a little while. <laughs> yeah. It's also a time thief. You know, yeah. I heard, uh, forgot who said that. I think it was, I heard someone say that, but alcohol is a time thief. And time is the most precious thing we have on this earth, man, is time. Um, anytime I drink alcohol, I'm robbed of time. The next day, the next two days now, at the age I'm getting, anytime, if I drink too much, which is rare these days. Um, I almost want to just cut it all out completely. And I'm, I'm about at that point of just cutting it out completely. Um, when I, if I drink now, it's it's one or two drinks. Um, but if you can cut that out, or just you know cut it out to very minimal and not binge, not go overboard with it, it'll really have an effect. And you'll. The thing is, if you quit, if you quit eating shitty and you quit drinking, 
for long enough, if you if you try to introduce that back into your system, mm. you reject it. Yeah. And the more and more I eat clean, and the more and more I the less and less I drink, when I do it again, if I eat out somewhere shitty, it makes me sick, man. Yeah. And you then you're like, wow, this shit is just poison. Even the food, the food itself has poison in it. It's just like you just really gotta control what you put in yourself. And uh it, it it's very rewarding to uh to uh to feel to feel healthy to feel uh you know mentally equipped sharp, yeah. sharp um and just have that sustained energy and not have the lethargy and the the depression and the if your gut's fucked up your mind's going to be fucked up and if you're eating processed foods every day all day your your gut's going to be fucked up and then that just leads to your mind being fucked up and you're just not absorbing life for what it is you're just kind of a a bot that's just you know going through the motions, man. Um, and that's kind of just what, uh, what helped me most, I think is, is focusing on my health and what I put in myself. And then obviously what, uh, what information I intake and, uh, just don't waste time, dude, put, put your time into, uh, into, uh, you know, beneficial knowledge that will better, better yourself. Cause if you're not trying to better yourself, you're going backwards, man. Um, and we're we're here to evolve, not go back, right? Yeah. Um, you don't ever want to go backwards. Um, so yeah. Good for you, man. Well, luckily, I could have gone the other way. I mean, uh, I think it goes the other way for a lot of people. A hundred percent does. And I was right there. I mean, I was right there of uh, going down the wrong path. Luckily, uh, yeah. Luckily, I don't know. Uh, meeting my wife was uh, was a big was a big was a big thing, I think, meeting her, giving me more purpose, um, you know, uh, caring for somebody. And then, I mean, not doing her a disservice by being an unhealthy piece of shit, you know? Um, <laughs> well, the, I mean, the most important decision you're ever going to make is the partner that you choose to live this life with. Yeah, correct. And it's weird that people at least appear, and maybe that's why the divorce rate's super high. It's like, we just find someone who I'm remotely attracted mm -hmm. to and will tolerate me mm -hmm. enough. And mm -hmm. it's, we've been together for so long, I guess now we should get married. Like, it's the thing. Instead of really asking yourself, like, is this the person that brings out the best yeah. in you? Yeah. You know? They, Luckily for me, I, I'm glad I met her when I did, because if I met her when I was, you know, full-blown contracting days, it probably wouldn't have yeah. lasted, you know? Um yeah. Until I got to that point in life where I was like, uh, you know, settled, you know, not going overseas every month um, or every two months. Um, it's hard, man. I didn't start contracting until after I got married. And Oh, so that's a test right there, man. That'll, yeah. that'll test the marriage. Yeah, sure. nine years and 17 deployments married going back and forth. So you probably picked forth. the right person then, man, if you're sure. still together, you know? For sure. Um, I was thinking the other day, uh, like what I would tell my kid if you know, I got bit by a snake or whatever about love. And it was hard. It was like, find you a woman that'll spend a year in a fifth wheel with you <laughs> yeah. next to your parents while you try to build a house down the road. Like, like she's stuck it out. That's, so I mean, I'm that's when you grateful. build the most character. That's when you, you evolve, man, is when those hard times come. Mm -hmm. If you choose, the choice is yours. You can, you can continue down that path or you can evolve and you can become a better human. You mm -hmm. can become a physically better being. You mm -hmm. can become a mentally better being if you just, you know, take action. Take action on what you can control. And what you can control is what you put in your body your thoughts and the information you absorb. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and your friends, right? You know, yeah, that's the people a big you one. hang around with. Um, you don't want to be hanging around fucking negative people because you carry that shit around with you, which I've done too. I've been around a negative crowd, not negative as in, I mean, they were my friends, but didn't see it at the time. But when you're hanging around that type of crowd, you carry that shit with you and you don't even know it. Yeah. You don't even know it. Are they ambitious? Are they pursuing anything worth a fuck? Or are evolving. they just getting drunk yes. every weekend? Correct. Correct. You know, fading away from their lives because their lives, they haven't, they haven't made the investment in it. Correct. And then you at in then the end is near. And then yeah, uh man. yeah, time time itself is the biggest uh the main thing we have on earth. And uh that you better be better be good at what you do with your time, man, because if if you aren't, then uh yeah, you're going backwards, dude. And I ain't about going backwards. So what are you doing with your time now? Uh Everything. Uh, so <laughs> I own a business in San Antonio called Center Mass. We do. Uh, we're. I, I call myself a fabrication shop, but we do mostly firearm stuff. Um, full. Yeah, show me these magazines. You brought a couple. Yeah, yeah. These I just did real quick for you guys, just to just to show you, man. But this is just a Cerakoted metal uh, AR mag with uh, with uh, yeah, y'all's logo in it, and uh, that's just one coat of Cerakote. And then I have a couple fiber lasers that kind of. Like it's called hatching, and it doesn't engrave anything. It just changes the pigment of the color. So it just kind of makes one color, too, Wow. Uh, with my lasers. But, yeah, I got center mass in San Antonio. Um, I got uh, – A tiger you know, stripe, super cool. Very cool. Um, I have three vets, three veterans that work for me. Actually, you could make it five. Two guys work out of my shop, but they're – Are they uh, Air Force? No, they weren't. They're actually Army guys. Uh, I actually have all Army dudes – Working for me. Really? All army guys, all army vets, yeah. At least they've got no a Marines. good leader, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, they got the crayon eater for the fucking... The, and you yeah. can do this with anything, any any type of... Man, we can do that on anything. And it's... I, the, people ask me what they what I do in my shop. We, You give me an idea and we'll make it fucking happen, dude. Like, uh, yeah, nothing's outlandish to us. And the reason I've been able to survive... I mean, there's companies that, that open and go out of business all the time. I've seen handfuls of them. Yeah. Like my shop, open, go out of business, open, go out of business. Because there's no uh, attention to detail, really. And there's no, like, uh, people are scared to, you know, to to be outlandish, especially in the 2A community with people's egos and shit. Um, it is hard, man. Like, uh, when I got into firearms instructing, they're like, we should do a YouTube channel. We should, like, man, I don't even want to be in, yeah. that, in that world. Yeah. Because they just, it's so self-consuming. Like, you make any opinion post anything you're gonna get just swarmed with yep bored I, i've been there man yeah it's yeah. Uh, i'm quite there i mean I, I we build guns with fucking unicorns on them you know for guys <laughs> like i have a great client that that does uh he has two daughters and they're younger and i've done a couple little 22s for him but i've done like my little pony and stuff and i mean i put it on the internet and it just drives so much hate but the hate is is engagement and the yeah. engagement if you're a 2a company these days you know your engagement. You cannot. You know you get the. I get the message like once a week now that my uh, we can't show your page to people who don't follow you. Fucking message, or you better remove this picture from 2019 that has just. It's just so ridiculous. Um, so anything that I can do to drive my engagement, um, even if it's negative, I don't give a shit. If you don't like it, I don't give a fuck about your opinion, dude. Yeah. Um, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. And it's, uh, it is what it is. And I fucking enjoy doing it. And the guys that work for me are great. And if I didn't have them, my shop wouldn't really be what it is. 
um, them being in my shop allows me my artistic um, my artistic freedom and a lot of the bigger uh, the, like the design jobs um, we do like full scale completely engraved uh, like every surface that's engravable uh, on like you know a revolver a desert eagle a uh, a lever gun we'll do like complete full engraving what's, what's your instagram or what are your handles so uh, our instagram is center.mass s-i-n-n-e-r dot m-a-s-s okay um, you have to type in the whole thing because if you don't we don't pop up yeah um is that called shadow ban is that what that is i guess dude i'm fucking extreme it's been for like a year i mean it, over the past like year and a half since like covid it's gotten to the point where like i've like you can see my engagement climbing 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 and then just drops off dude just drops off um What's really helped is Reddit. Reddit's uh, pretty friendly. Uh, okay. Two way, so I have a Reddit page as well. If you if you search Center Mouse on Reddit, we put stuff on there. Instagram and Facebook we have, but it's so suppressed. And just because you've got guns on there, is that just because I post guns on there? Yeah, and I'm not trying to sell them. I'm just showing like it's like artwork. Yeah. Basically, just my portfolio of stuff I've done and my uh, employees have done. And uh, yeah, it's it's but you can you can promote fucking four loco or you know you can show tits and ass uh, and promote it and pay to advertise. We can't even yeah. pay to advertise. Check out my OnlyFans. You can see my starfish. Yeah, yeah. and uh, no problem. We can't even pay to sh- advertise. They don't even allow us to pay them. So it's just like whatever. But what's helped me is doing the outlandish stuff I do and the crazy stuff we do do. It gets shared by you know bigger accounts, and that's what's kind of allowed me to uh, grow. And continue to do what I do, man. So, luckily, uh, I guess I have a talent for that stuff. Um, pissing people off? <laughs> yeah, pissing people off is one of them, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I don't mind pissing somebody off. Uh, I don't really care. Um, yeah, me either. So, if you like me, you like me. If you don't, you don't, man. Well, luckily here, we give zero fucks. So, there you That's go. why I followed this company since <laughs> the fucking start, man. So, yeah. I've been following yeah, Zero Foxtrot for a long time. Probably, I don't know, 2000. 15, yeah. 14, I think. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, Is that your main grind? Do you have any other hustles? Uh, I'm working with a company called Savage Actual. Shout out to uh, Jason Lilly, Patrick Moultrip. Uh, those are my bros. Former uh, soft guys as well. Uh, I'm working with them on something pretty exciting. Uh, it'll y'all. I can't really talk about it much because uh, we're trying to... Uh, yeah, we're trying to do something pretty cool, um, and I, it's uh, production. We're waiting probably another, about another month. It'll start. It'll start popping up on the internet. Um, but I'm working with them on a project that has uh, really cool potential to it. Um, and I'm working actual. Savage Actual. Yeah, they're on YouTube, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, they uh, do a lot of like gaming reviews. They do, uh, and it's funny to see former soft guys, like older dudes, especially playing video, like uh, Call of Duty and trying to like, you know, it's just Jason's a fucking good dude. He's fucking hilarious too. Uh, he's there. He's in Florida, and Patrick's in uh, California. Which, sorry, Pat, uh, you should get the fuck out of there. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, good dudes. And then I also work for a ranch uh, in a little bit north of uh, Kerrville. It's about an hour and a half north of San Antonio called the Wyo Ranch, uh, putting on uh, training events, um, pretty much any events, uh, leadership events. We've had, uh, you know, CEOs of companies come out and do some leadership training out there, um, concerts. What kind uh, of training stuff? Um, just like uh, like a leadership a weekend, like so you they come out um, like a corporate event, corporate event, yeah, okay. yeah, corporate event. Um, 
do so, do like a range day, you know, a morning hike, watch the sunrise on uh, what's called Gobbler's Knob, really cool spot on the ranch to watch the sun come up. Um, a lot of history out there as well. It's kind of like uh, one of the, you know, starts of uh, the Texas Rangers have a lot of history out there. Um, really cool place. Um, but yeah, I have all that information on my, uh, on my uh, socials. Um, my, uh, if you have any questions about that stuff, just reach out to me directly um, and I can answer them. Uh, exotic hunts, um, even if you just want to go feed a camel or go feed a sloth, they have that out there. Um, a camel and a sloth? They have sloths, they have monkeys, they have uh, lemurs. Wow. Little hybrid raccoon looking things. Yeah. They're really friendly. They have little like... Zaboombafu. Yeah, I that, guy, that guy. I, I don't have kids, but I know what you're fucking yeah. what you're talking about. That movie. Uh, what is it? Madagascar? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, the lemurs, they're really cool little things. You can go feed them. Um, wow. A lot of cool stuff out there. Um, even kids. Uh, kids, and kids is this love open it. to the public? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, tourists. Uh, people come from all over the world to go see that place, man. Um, yeah. Last time I was out there, people from Germany were there checking it out. Um, you book online? You can book online. You can book through me. Um, doesn't matter. Um, just a really, really cool historic ranch, man. It's one of the coolest ranch I've been to in Texas, uh, and I've been to quite a few of them. Spent my life in Texas, so... Yeah, it's one of the uh, ones you, you can't really explain. You just got to see it yeah. uh, type place. Um, but uh, future events out there should be uh, in 2024 should be, you know, pretty, pretty exciting out there. So just keep an eye out for us. Um, but yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah, man. Anything else you want to share? I asked you for a book recommendation. Oh, Did yeah. Do you have one? I do have. Well, I have two. Let's get them. What are you? What, so give me a book to read. Uh, you should and read. Why? You should read. Uh, Bitcoin, hard money you can't fuck with. Okay. You should read that book. It talks a lot about our money system. The guy who wrote it, his name is Jason Williams. His story, his story is in there as well, which is a pretty crazy story. He's just an entrepreneur. Okay. But his story is is pretty wild. He had the FBI knock on his door because of his what he was doing, but he was doing nothing illegal. It was it's pretty crazy what he did. He turned he basically turned uh, old tires into Bitcoin. You can read about it in the book. Um, but he, wow. he burns, so he gets old tires for free, burns them with some sort of new, uh, you know, it, uh, it's like emissionless uh, energy, basically. He burned these tires, but he's using it to power his Bitcoin mining. Um, and he started doing this in, you know, the early, the mid-2015 mid you know, or so. Um, but he bought all these servers from China. And it got the FBI's attention. So they came to his door. He was like, what? He's like, why are y'all here? He's like, did you buy these? He was like, yeah. And then he took him to his operation. They're like, oh, this is, you're completely fine. He's like, yeah. But he said it like his heart dropped. He was like, at two FBI agents at your door, you're like, oh, shit. Who did I buy these from? Yeah, <laughs> right. From someone. But Bitcoin hard money you can't fuck with. It's on Amazon. It's only like, it's pretty cheap for paperback. Or you can just... Uh, you know, get the digital version. Um, I'm a big podcast listener. I don't do much reading anymore, unfortunately. I listen to everything. Audiobooks are the way to go, man. Yeah, because I do a lot of design work on my computer, so I'm always I'm listening to either music um, yeah. or, you know, knowledge, just inputting knowledge. Just life Two is birds, about, one yeah, stone. Yeah. I got you. Um, and then the other one is uh, Rules for a Night. I don't know if you ever heard that. No. I think that's what it's called. Rules, yeah, rules of a night. Um, so I don't know, you know who Ethan Hawke is, yeah. the actor. Yeah. You know, his family traces back to a, uh, um, 
he has a bloodline that traces back to a famous or not. I don't know if he's a famous knight, but from like the 1400s. And they have this guy's uh, basically journal, this knight's journal. Um, and it was passed on and passed on and passed on. And he came across it. And it was in like uh, Cornish or some the language back then was a little different. Um, but he had it like translated and he actually put it into a book. And what that it's a really it's a it's a small book. Um, it's really short. It's only like a hundred and something pages, but uh, it's a good book to just pick up and read a paragraph out of and put down. Okay. Um, especially like I, I would do it in the morning and at night, and I never knew what I was going to read. But it's just if you can, I'm a big history guy. Like mm-hmm. I love history, and I I always think that I had another life in the medieval times. I think I was. Uh, Either maybe a warlord or someone that died on the battlefield in the medieval Just time. Just a gay jester. Yeah. <laughs> Don't lie. Fucking <laughs> yeah, <looking> juggler. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I, I love history. I love the medieval times, like uh, knights. Uh, love all that. Uh, so I, that that book uh, intrigued me. Um, but it's just a really cool book to just to read, like, throughout the year or maybe throughout a few months just to pick up, read a page put it down because it's like if you put yourself in that guy's shoes or in that guy's boots you know 500 plus years ago it's yeah. like pretty fucking wild with those guys and you think life is hard now like that's one of the main problems is people are so people are so uh it's so easy to live these days mm. that you know people don't there's no gratitude for what perspective's not yeah, there yeah yeah man you have to have gratitude every day man you have to be very great like i'm grateful every time i wake up in a bed. I'm, I'm just gr- grateful I woke up and just, you know, so, having gratitude is a big deal, I think. Just appreciating everything, even in the bad. Yeah. You I know? think some of having those experiences on those mountains. Yes. In 100%. Afghanistan. If I didn't have that, I wouldn't have the gratitude I have today. Hurting your back and having it all taken away. Like those moments are what give you that perspective and that ability to go, you know what? It could be a lot worse. So much worse. And that's what I took away from Colombia mostly was oh yeah i'm sure like, at any point in time like hmm, it could be worse 100 <laughs> percent could always close on right man. now so this is always a perk it right? could always be worse um but yeah gratitude i think is huge in your everyday life you should have it and you should think about it when you wake up if you what i like to do real quick is i don't when i wake up i don't don't look don't don't wake up and grab your phone wake up i like to go outside i like to if it if it's raining or shitty out or freezing out just don't just sit on the just go somewhere in one of your in some room in your house or your apartment and just chill and mm. just think be with your thoughts mm. and then attack the thoughts that you have control over mm. you know it'll make your life better if you uh if you're stressed there's reasons you're stressed attack those reasons you know um and you can eradicate your stress by hard work um and i think guys are just caught up in uh caught up in their thoughts and not taking action if you take action on the thoughts you have control over if you have the take action on the things you have control over in your life, it'll make your life so much easier because I was there and I'm still learning and I'm still learning how to, you know, take control over my mind and and take action on things that need to take action. And it, it will make your life better and it'll make your life easier, even though it's sacrificing and even though it's working, it will make your life easier. Um, so yeah, gratitude and uh, taking action on, uh, your controllables in your life is, uh, amen, brother. Yeah. Love it. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, brother. Appreciate you. Awesome.